Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSEN. We welcome you in. It's another edition of the Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM. Great to be back with Michael Lombardi from New Jersey. I'm Ben Wilson at our downtown Las Vegas studios at the Circa Sportsbook. And Michael, a new column from you up right now at vcin.com. Really enjoyed reading it, which you posted yesterday early afternoon on the East Coast in the wake of DeMar Hamlin's cardiac arrest on the field in Cincinnati. And a really job well done. It was really well written by you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ben. You know, to me, I think where this has become so difficult for all of us is that line that I wrote about is, you know, we're used to seeing the cart. We're used to seeing, unfortunately, the violence of the sport, but it results in broken bones and it results in torn ACLs. And those are painful to watch, but this was life or death. And I think that that's really brought us together as a league and brought us together as a nation. And it's really been good to see the GoFundMe page that that DeMar had is over $4 million. Just talking to people who were in the stadium and how the stadium reacted watching the watching the events on the field brought people together and it, it just to me is so powerful when we become when me becomes we and too often in sports it's always me you know I'm root for this team you root for that team but I, I think ultimately when we're looking at this as precious as life is I brought us together. Yeah, no question. And as we attempt to do our best to move on today, talk some Week 18 topics, still we're, we're thinking wholeheartedly of the situation in Cincinnati. At least the latest update as of this morning from uh, Coley Harvey, who's one of the ESPN national reporters who's been there at the hospital. Just uh, He said he spoke this morning uh, with the family friend and, and uncle there of DeMar Hamlin at the hospital. Said they got overnight uh, promising readings. Uh, couldn't go into specifics, but it appears progress is being made. So that's the latest we know. Obviously, that is great news to hear, and we uh, continue to uh, you know, hope for the best, and we'll let you know if we get any more news. Uh, as far as the NFL schedule, though, Michael, you were with us for the first half hour yesterday. We found out late in our show, NFL planning to move forward with the Week 18 schedule at least as of right now, uh, with no plans to play the Cincinnati-Buffalo game, at least for this week. Uh, and the unfortunate reality is, you know, time doesn't stop. Clock keeps moving. We're here. It's now past noon on a Wednesday. Uh, how do you think this ends up uh, playing out, at least from the NFL perspective? 
Well, I mean, look, I'm not a commissioner, and, and I think to me the the gravity of the situation forces different circumstances. And I think some of the press release from Mike Brown was so well written yesterday, the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, the Buffalo Bills understand that. I think home field advantage and seeding is insignificant at this point for either yeah. team. So if the commissioner says, let's just call this a tie, I don't think there are going to be any hostilities from either side. You know, and, and nor will I think there'll be hostilities from other teams that are competing. It was it was an unfortunate event that happened, and it, it has impacted all of us. And all of us have to kind of come together and do our part as best we can as this young man fights for his life. So I, I think we, on the betting side here as we transition, mm-hmm. I think we tend to overrate home field advantage in the playoffs, right? We saw... Uh, the Rams go into Tampa last year. We saw Tampa go into Green Bay. We saw San Francisco a, a dropped interception away from going to the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. You know, we saw Kansas City, you know, uh, lose to Cincinnati at home and should have lost to Buffalo if they would have just put 13 seconds between them. So I, I, I think Tennessee loses at home, number one seed to the Bengals. You know, forget all this. If you get in, you got to make your bed when you get in. Do your things right. Give yourself a chance to win the game. Play your best. Play three games as best you can. And who cares where you are? And who cares about home field? And who cares about everything? We care about uh, Demar more than anything. So let yeah. that go. And the reality is, there's you know, no solution that is going to be perfect. And that's what happens when you have uh, you know such a, a unprecedented event like what happened Monday night. It would seem to me, Michael, like the no contest solution or tie, you could do either one, wouldn't uh, impact things as far as the standings. That is the, the most, at least to me, the most optimal way to go about this, where, yes, there are very minor implications, but all that would really mean is Kansas City plays for the one seed Saturday. If they win, Buffalo plays for the two seed Sunday. If they win, Kansas City, uh, I should say Cincinnati is locked into the three and they get the division regardless. That would seem like a fair thing to do considering the circumstances here. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, and Cincinnati's a cold weather town. Buffalo's a cold weather town. So the advantage that you have in playing in cold weather is outdoors is you're still going to gain that, right? Whether you're the two or the three seed, you're hosted a game. And then once the games get hosted, who knows what's going to happen? There's no guarantee that the, the, the two seed wins. There's no guarantee the three seed wins, right? So there's no guarantee that, I mean, what we saw last year was the recalibration of the seeding based on Cincinnati, you know, Buffalo lose and Kansas mm-hmm. City, you know, we saw some of that. So, like, I, I think there's too much made about home field. I mean, if you can go into Kansas City and they should have lost two home games last year in the playoffs, think about it, right? They're 13 seconds away from losing to Buffalo and they lost to Cincinnati. I mean, to me, that takes away all the starch about, well, we have to have home field advantage. And it's a good point. It not only applies to the AFC, but for the NFC as we go forward now, looking at the lines, because people, <laughs> we see how the market is it, it gets jacked up several points, whether you have teams fighting just to get in, teams fighting for playoff positioning, and we'll get into the stats, especially as we talk about teams who are fighting just to get in, but even for the teams as far as seeding goes, that, that tends to get overrated in the betting market, and it definitely becomes more, you know, you start to try and figure out the priorities, right? Like for teams who only the top seed gets the buy now, Michael, so it's like, what yeah. do you rather have? I mean, Don't you rather have a rested team if you're confident in the squad that you have, you take your chances going forward regardless of the seeding. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I mean, if you're Minnesota, you know, if you're not playing well, does it matter if you're the two, three, or four seed? You know, you're going to have a hard game whether you're two, yeah. three, or four. 
right? And you got you got your doors blown off by Dallas at home. Indianapolis built a huge lead up at home. So, like, there's no guarantee that if you're the two or the three seed, you got you, you know, if you're the three seed, you might have the New York football giants coming back to town who were a five-and-a-half-point dog the last time they came to town who will be probably a two-point dog when they come. There'll be a shift in that market tremendously just based on how the Giants have played since and, and how the, the Vikings have played. So I, I think it, it's just, to me, playoff time is about focusing on what matters in the playoff. What matters in the playoffs is the ability to play great red zone defense. What matters in the playoffs is converting third and short. What matters in the playoffs is having great red zone defense. What also matters in the playoffs is having a, a field goal kicker who's reliable and makes kicks. Absolutely. You know, yeah. we, the formula that we saw from Cincinnati last year still is the formula. You know, it, it's funny, Ben. I was going through all my numbers today, as I always do on Tuesday and Wednesday, and the team that, you know, the team that has a perception about them that doesn't meet the reality is the are the Miami Dolphins. And why do they have a perception? They have this perception because we see them being explosive on offense and we see their quarterback averaging almost nine yards an attempt and all those things. But when you peel back the layers of their team, they're not very good. They're not very good. Now they've had injuries and all that. So my point is they're not they're not playoff suited if they were to get in. They don't do anything that that a great playoff team does. They don't play good defense. They can't handle third and short. They struggle in short yardage, all those things. So to me, you know, perception and reality are different, and that's why the, the, the teams we think are going to be great playoff teams, the offensive teams who score a lot of points, end up not doing it in the playoff yeah. time. And especially looking at how teams go down the stretch, it's, it's why I found myself sort of circuitously on the Patriots last week. Uh, God, you know, it wasn't a, a fun way to lose that uh, Patriots minus two and a half play with the, uh, with the late backdoor touchdown. But the reality was for Miami, if you look at the last now, extrapolated out to six weeks, defensive numbers, bottom three teams in the league. And the offense, especially without Tua Tagovailoa quarterback, that takes a drastic step backwards, too. And we get the report now from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network that it's a dislocated pinky finger on the throwing hand of Teddy Bridgewater. The Look, whether he'll be able to play this week, it's going to be determined by swelling. That's coming from the team and, and how the injury affects his ability to grip and throw the ball. But you have to think it's going to be... Skylar Thompson yeah, for how, Miami against play the Jets this week. I mean, you, you can't you can't hide it. You and and what you can't do with that is you can't numb it. He needs feeling in that finger. That's the finger that releases the ball. So it's you're you're really that they signed Mike Lennon, which tells you all you need to know, right? They, they're desperate <laughs> to have a backup, right? I mean, and so this is going to be Skylar Thompson and Mike Lennon, and you know, and but I mean, when you watch, but look, I mean, Miami horrible third down defense. Points per play defense, 32nd in the National Football League. Red zone defense, horrible. You know, the uh, third down defense, 27th, right? They're, they're, they're incomplete pass, 27th in the league. I mean, there's not that forcing turnovers, 29th in the league. I mean, there's not an area that they're good and 29th in penalties. Like, we have, we've got this perception that Mike McDaniel's done this incredible job down there in Miami. When I, I haven't done it, I will today. But I'm not sure they've improved their team based on where Flores had them last year. I don't disagree with you. And I, you still look at a matchup like against the Jet team that is now out of it, officially eliminated, who has zero, like a net zero at quarterback at this point, and are still trying to figure out. I mean, Mike White says they say he uh, they feel 
confident in him being able to play, but was clearly less than 100% health-wise for White at quarterback. And yet, I, you know, I look at my numbers, and I feel like the Jets probably should still be favored or a pick him in the game. And the market has come back. It's now uh, Jets at some shops are, are favored by one after the Dolphins were about two, two and a half early in the week. Yeah, I mean, look, I think when you finally get past the perception of the Dolphins and t- the great Tyreek Hill and his explosiveness, and you peel back the layers and you look at this team and you say, wait a minute, Wait a minute. They're, you know, they refuse to run the ball, even though they hired a coach who specializes in running the ball. They don't manage the game in three dimensions. They really don't take the pressure off their defense. Their defense has gotten worse since Flores left. That's fact. You know, I mean, they went from playing a lot of zone man, zone co- zone dogs, uh, you know, zone man to man. They had a little mixture of everything last year when Flores took over the defense. So Flores takes over the defense, and they have this, and then he goes and Boyer's back in playing man-to-man, and they can't cover anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it hard when you cannot literally cover anybody. Dolphins needing a win plus a Patriots loss to get in the playoffs. Playoff odds currently about plus 120. Uh, and as far as Buffalo today, we get to word that they are going to go through walkthroughs today. That's at least the first sort of structure that is coming out of Buffalo as they have returned back. Uh, to Orchard Park. We have a lot more coming up on the show today. Harry Gagnon from Against All Odds, and that podcast joins us an hour or two. Up next, really excited to welcome in NBC Sports Boston analyst Matt Castle, former Patriot and Chief quarterback, among a bunch of other teams. We'll chat with Matt on the quarterback situation in the NFL. Up next. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. 
It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app at MGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds, specials, and much more. Download the BetMGM app today and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM's state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Ben Wilson in for Patrick Maher today on the show. Patrick back with us tomorrow. Michael Lombardi here as well on the Lombardi line. You know, Michael, we're, we're going into week 18. We've had over 65 quarterbacks take snaps this year in the NFL, the most since 2007 in a single season. So what better way to at least try to get some insight and thoughts on that than bringing in uh, a guy who had a very distinguished NFL career in uh, Matt Castle, the, uh, the 13-year former NFL quarterback played with seven different teams. Matt, help us sort through all of this. It's 64 different starters. How do you view what we've seen this season in the NFL just from the starting quarterback perspective? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a wild year for the backup quarterback and the amount of guys that have had to play and been thrust into action. And when you look at the quarterback position in general, I mean, you're talking about the most important position, probably being the most vulnerable on the field at any given time. Just the nature of the position, you're exposed to a lot of hits, not only in the in the pocket, but at the same time, the athleticism that you're starting to see on the defensive side of the ball, especially that defensive line and the creativity that these guys have to have at the quarterback position to get outside their escapability, their elusiveness, but that also exposes them to more of those free runners when you're trying to create plays down the field. And then it's the RPO game. So there's so many different factors to why certain quarterbacks are playing. Some of it is obviously play related, whether a guy's stepping up, whether he's playing well, if he's not, obviously they're going to move on. But a lot of this is based on injury. Yeah, Matt. And when you watch the tapes and I know you watch and from the quarterback vantage point, you know, for me, it seems like we're not doing a good enough job protecting the quarterback in terms of scheme protections. And then, you know, when the quarterback does get have to move around, he's taking some unnecessary hits because we're getting more calls in the run game. What's your viewpoint on that? Right. You take a risk every time, especially in the run game, right? All, all the new RPO and even the zone read stuff in which this guy's reading one defender. But every time that guy takes off into the field and they're exposing them, themselves to hits by linebackers, by safeties, I mean, that that's a risk that you take with your quarterback position, the most pivotal guy on the field. And at the same time, like you said, protection has been an issue. And the guys are getting more athletic on that side of the ball. But how do you counteract that? Well, you've got to rely a little bit more maybe on the run game. Slow those guys down screens have to become uh, prevalent as, as well as seven man protection, eight man mm-hmm. protection at time. If the defense allows you to do so, because again, this, the, the, the offenses have evolved. They've become a lot more spread. You see them spread it out and putting more on the quarterback, the emphasis on them making plays because these guys are so unique. The Josh Allen's of the world, the Patrick Mahomes, the Justin Herbert's where they can make plays on their own and they can make people miss, but at some point there's a give and take to that. Mm-hmm. And Matt Castle joining us. He's now a an analyst for NBC sports, Boston. You're living though in Nashville, Tennessee Titans, yeah. a big game this Saturday night. Uh, help us understand what's going through the mind of Josh Dobbs right now, who's been with the team less than two weeks, comes in, gets a start on a short week against Dallas. What do you, what do you see in him having so little time to get a grasp of the offense and being in such an important game division on the line this week? 
Right. For him, you know, I think in these type of situations, he's got nothing to lose. He's got everything to gain. And so you can go out there and play free. At the same time, it's about comprehending the, what that game plan is, what the Jacksonville Jaguars do, and how you're going to attack them. Because I believe that between Malik Willis and Joshua Dobbs, they felt like Joshua Dobbs gave them more of an opportunity in the pass game. And he was able to go out there. And last week was kind of his test, test week to see if he could go and play at a high level. And I thought he achieved that. He was able to complete some balls in the pass game and now with Derrick Henry coming back this week hopefully give them more balance with the run pass because they're going to have to do do some good things against the Jacksonville Jaguars because that team is hot right now and Trevor Lawrence is playing at an elite, elite level no doubt you know you played for the Patriots and you were in the Josh McDaniels structure of offense and when you watched Jarrett Stidham play what was your first thought and how successful he was when you watched him you know, I was really impressed with his composure, his poise, but also you immediately notice his comfort level within the system. Obviously, that he was drafted by the New England Patriots in 2019. He's had Josh McDaniels his entire career, so there's a comfort that comes with that of knowing the system, and I can tell you firsthand, I was in that system for four years before I was thrust into action when Tom Brady got hurt, and when you understand what to do in offense, when you have that toolbox at your disposal to get into the right checks, to move protection, to protect yourself, and at the same time, have confidence in conceptually what you're trying to achieve. I mean, it, it gives you that burst of confidence and you saw that the other night. But in addition to that, I just thought he put, he made some outstanding throws, some great decisions, and then also extended some plays. I mean, the throw to Devonte Adams, when he's rolling out to his left, getting hit in the face by Fred Warner to get that ball out of his hands for a big play. He just competed all day long and, and it was uh, an outstanding performance by him and a great start. It looks fearless, at least on the field, took like a couple of big shots as well. And Matt, I think about how we now view things from the, the betting perspective. And if you're going to have confidence in backing a lot of these backup quarterbacks thrust into the spotlight, there's pr probably some certain things on the checklist that you want to see, right? So I, I think back right. to your experience in New England, you come in week one, middle of the game, Tom Brady goes down with an ACL injury. As you think back, aside from having a guy like Randy Moss to throw to and, and some Hall of Fame wide receivers, what was it that, that helped you and gave you so many things on that checklist to have such a good year and, and be able to step in right away and, and lead your team to some wins? Yeah, that's a great question. I think number one, it was, again, my experience within the system. And I also got to learn from the best to ever play the position. I got to try to emulate that day in and day out. We really recognize what he did at the line of scrimmage, how he led and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we were surround, I was surrounded by some great playmakers, and that helps, right? When you have Randy Moss, when you have Wes Welker, we had Jabbar Gaffney, we had um, Daniel Graham, and all, the, all these different components that in a, in a really good offensive line. Now, early on, I'm not going to sit here and say I stepped in and lit the lit it up by any means. It was a continuous growth throughout the season, this maturation process, because I knew the system, but Josh McDaniels and the coaching staff tailored that system back for me. And as I became more comfortable and as they understood that I I, I could handle more, it just started getting better and better and better. And then by the end of the year or close to the middle of the year, I'd say there was a confidence in me and I had that accountability factor and they felt very comfortable in putting more checks on my plate. And that's when we really started to accelerate and go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's so important, and I think you see it with Brock Purdy too, right? I mean, Kyle Shanahan's learning about Brock Purdy within the system. They're going to do what Brock Purdy can do. It's the same thing with you. When you take over, you know, Belichick sent – I think he had two guys in for a workout that day, sent them both home because he wanted to give you the confidence that you were going to be the guy and that you weren't looking over your shoulder. So that's a giant first step. And then second, you know, they learned about what you did well and what you couldn't do and what was more comfortable. And I think as you go – through your career, I think that's kind of people think they just assume that happens. But when you get to other places, it really doesn't. It, 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 as shocking as it sounds, it doesn't happen enough to play to the strength of the quarterback. And we have this term: "Oh, he, he's you got to manage him." Every quarterback right. needs to do the things that he runs the best. A hundred percent. I mean, playing the quarterback position is difficult within its own right. But at the end of the day, if you can play to that player's strengths, have that open conversation. What conceptually do you like? What does this player do? Well, I remember during that season, look, we used to go two by two and three by one and two minute drills. And that's something that was very normal for a lot of people based on right hash, left hash. But I was very confident in my three by one set and the concepts that we'd run. And I talked to Josh about it and Josh, he didn't hesitate. He didn't fight it and say, no, you've got to run what we run. He said, you know what? Let's go three by one to three by one. And that was just a subtle adjustment that we made early on the season. But that gave me supreme confidence as we got into those crucial two minute situational football uh, elements of the game that I was able to go down and execute because I just really liked the three, uh, the three by one packages more so than I did the two by two and cutting the field in half. So those are, those are things that good coaches do. But like you said, Mike, it doesn't happen at every place. And I had had, I think 13 coordinators once I I left New England every single year. I had a different coordinator, maybe other than one year. And, and other than that, it was, it was just remarkable to see that a lot of coaches say, look, this is the system that we run. This is what we're going to do. You have to learn what we do and adapt to that rather than us work with you and adapt to what your skill strengths yeah. are. It's great insight. Uh, again, it, it, you can follow uh, Matt Castle, by the way, sorry, Michael M underscore castle 16. I had to throw well, that. In I mean, there, it's Michael. just, it, 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 it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I mean, you know, like the, I was raised in that system. Like that's the yeah. only thing I know. And so right. for me, it, you know, Matt confirmed it. But then when he goes so, and everybody blames the player for not ex- executing when when it's about the player, it's about the skills of the player within the system. That was a Bill Walsh thing. I mean, I learned that my first year. You know, we're going to develop the skills within the system. That doesn't mean he's got to run this, you know. It's I think Brady's going through a little bit of that in Tampa. You know, Tom wants to throw the ball in the middle of the field. Now, he made throws last week on the outside, but that's not what Tom loves. Tom wants a tight end, a nickelback, and a slot guy to throw it between the numbers. A hundred percent. Like when you see him at his best, he's working that interior part of the field, getting his best matchups. They're doing it formationally, and then he's taking his shots. But if you ask him to go out there and just throw the ball deep every single time, that's just not something that he he wants to do, right? He wants to control the middle of the field. Uh, Matt Castle, can't thank you enough for taking the time. Really appreciate it, Matt. Thanks. Absolutely, fellas. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Of course. We'll come back. More NFL discussion on the other side. to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit VSEN.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting splits page is updated with DraftKings odds every 10 minutes, so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not only today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VSEN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. 
check out today's betting splits for every game at vcin.com. Again, a big thanks to Matt Castle for joining us on the Lombardi line. It is just crazy to think about, Michael, the fact that we're in 2023 now. So this fall will mark 15 years since that week one game. I still remember where I was sitting on the couch. I was watching Brett Favre's debut with the Jets against the Dolphins. When they cut in, James Brown announces to everybody, Tom Brady is down and is out, tears his ACL, and then this guy named Matt Castle comes in and all of a sudden nearly leads the Patriots to a playoff berth that season. Just crazy to think. It seems like that was yesterday, uh, almost 15 years yeah. ago. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, and, and so, you know, and, and Matt, like he said, he spent four years there. He learned the system, and they tailored the system. It took some time to kind of know what to do, you know, and I think that's really what, what was about last week with Tennessee playing Joshua Dobbs. They, they, they're not going to change their system, but Vrabel's smart enough to know, okay, I think here's what we can do. We're gonna get we're gonna get our running back back. We're gonna get Henry back behind here. Here's the throws we think we can make, and here's what looks good for us. And we're just gonna rep them. You know, we, yeah. we're so used to seeing these guys with the with the uh, 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 with the uh, uh, cheesecake factory menu in front of them, with all that stuff in front of them, like they got a thousand plays. Right at the end of the day, they really only can run. 12, 14, 15 plays well. The the brilliance of Joe Gibbs is really, and this is, as we go through a time, and I should probably write this for Friday, but as we go through a time where we're seeing all these quarterback changes and questions abound about why can't we get better quarterbacking play, and then you remember the great Joe Gibbs, who went to a Super Bowl with Doug Williams, who went to a Super Bowl and won with Mark Rippon, who went to a Super Bowl and won with, with Stan Humphreys. I mean, you're talking about three quarterbacks who never had success outside of Joe Gibbs, which causes you to say to yourself, why? Why? Well, Gibbs was very good at coaching the quarterback. He un- and the quarterback, when he hit his fifth step or he hit his seventh step, knew exactly where he was going to throw the ball because Gibbs was not enamored with running a 1,000 plays. He was enamored with making it look like he ran a 1,000 plays. And so when the quarterback played, it was always easier for him. And, and I think that we have lost some of that art. We've become so much more about plays and volume than we are about execution and dressing things up. You know, it's fascinating to think about how, and we think about how deep and <laughs> it complicated a lot of times it seems from the outside, but as you point out, a lot of times the key to success is the the innate understanding of the system and the sub- simplification of that. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. We'll talk a little bit later in the show. We'll, we'll do our, our top of our second hour. We'll do the deep dive breakdown into Titans-Jacksonville uh, with Titans-Jags being the AFC South championship game. But as we go forward now, you get quarterbacks, some of them in week 18, either questionable or out, some coming back this week. And now it's time to sift through that from the betting standpoint. Uh, starting in the NFC East, where both games this week will have quarterback uh, concerns or potential for multiple guys at the, in both of those spots. We start in Philadelphia, where the Eagles need to win to still clinch the one seed, win the NFC East. It's a third straight week. We have said that. Now up to 14-point favorites since the Giants, on the surface, nothing to play for. Locked into the number six seed in the NFC. Reports are that Jalen Hurts expected to be back after missing two straight weeks with a shoulder strain. Uh, how do you expect this to look uh, with Hurts coming back after a, a near three-week layoff? You know, I, I never thought. Uh, I thought that the, this Week 18 game was a, was the Giants were going to walk in because the Eagles were in full retreat mode. They were not going to play anybody. They were going to rest them. And now it's flipped. The Giants aren't playing anybody, right? And it's all going to be about 
the Eagles having a win. And this is a game that's a little dangerous. Not that I think the Eagles are going to lose. They're not. Because the Giants are going to This is a Davis-Webb-Tyrod Taylor game. Maybe more Davis-Webb than anybody because they probably want to make sure that Tyrod Taylor is healthy to be the backup. And you won't see Saquon Barkley. You won't see the, the best players. There's not a lot of them, but the best players of the Giants. What you'll see is I think Philly will come out, get the lead, play from ahead. I think this is the perfect opportunity to bet the first half. This is, to me, there's some games on the slate this week that are bet the spread, bet, do your normal thing, and there's others that just bet the first half, and this is one of them. Like, bet the Eagles, I don't know what the first half line is, but I would take the Eagles. It's a little bit like Dallas when they played Tennessee last week. Take the seven in the first quarter and run with it. You know, count on that as your play. Because I think it's too damn hard the other way. I think it's – because here's the way I visualize it, okay? All right, the Eagles get up. Say the Eagles are up 24 to nothing midway through the third quarter. All right, they take all their guys out. They put their backups in. And now we have a real preseason game, and the next thing you know, you might get a backdoor cover. It's funny how that that tends to happen in a lot of situations. And as a result, books tend to jack up the first half number. Right now, consensus line, Eagles minus nine in the first half, even though the full game is 14. So if you're better, don't expect to just get the natural cut-in-half line in the first half, especially in games like Week 18. I see DraftKings has it to nine and a half on Philadelphia. But that number, you expect that probably will rise as the week goes on. And that we'll see a good uh, good deal of Gardner Minshew in the game if Philadelphia gets the early lead. Remember, it rushed for nearly th- 250 yards in the first meeting against the Giants. And at least from the number, that was a seven and a half spread for Philly on the road against New York. So if you flip it around, giving a point and a half for home field each way, you'd put this at Philly minus ten and a half if all things were equal, right? Well, now we're at 14, which to me is a, it's probably, a, and that's a fair, accurate adjustment. And it's not something I'd want to go out and lay the full game with. On the 14, especially with how shaky Gardner Minshew did look last week. I couldn't believe how bad he was, Michael, in that game against New Orleans. Well, I think he was bad, but I think the whole team was bad, right? I think that offensive line, when you give up, what they get, they gave up six sacks in the game, Ben? Yeah. You know, I mean, and they and they and they didn't call runs. And then here's the other thing: I think they only ran 18 plays in the first half. I mean, they didn't have the ball. They were three and out. They couldn't convert. Ball got tipped. You know, they break down. So. Yeah, I think to me it was a real issue. I'm with you. I I was disappointed in how Minshew played. I was disappointed in how the offense played. Took six sacks, only a uh, the rating at the end of the day for Minshew somehow was uh, was 82. I'm not really sure how it was even that high, but well, I mean, I guess some late. I I mean, these ratings are bizarre. I mean, sometimes I mean, Derek Carr's rating this year, QBR rating this year is better than it was last year. And he threw for 4,800 yards last year. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. understand it. Like, at some point, you've got to take the eye test combining with the, uh, with the, the numerical test. Yeah, no question. And it's uh, look, even, even for a Philadelphia team, the numbers at the end of the day, nearly six yards of play. But a lot of that was in chase mode, and they barely had the ball in the first half. You can't help but think, though, at least on the Eagles side, Washington and now Philadelphia have both shown the blueprint. You run the ball down their throats. Philly is very bad at stopping their own bottom five in the league. You keep the offense off the field, shorten the game, and you're going to be live to win the game. That's two teams who've shown a pretty effective blueprint, and it it leaves me a little bit uh, doubtful about their ability to run the table, even if they get the one seed in the NFC. Well, you, and they also you have to be defensively. What you have to have speed on defense. You've got to be able to run, 
and you've got to set your defense inside out, and you've got to be able to take advantage of no Lane Johnson at right tackle. So you got to, you know, if they play San Francisco and Bosa's over there, good luck, right? I mean, that Driscoll's not going to block him, so that's a problem. Uh, and, and I think to me, the other thing is, as much as they don't defend the run, look at them when they play zone. Look at their numbers mm, when they're in zone. Yeah. They don't. They they want to be a zone team because. For all the conversation about Bradbury being this, you know, they got Bradbury, what a great steal. That Like the Giants, how could they cut him? They cut him because he can't play man-to-man. That's why they cut him. They, you know, you got Don Martindale wants to play press coverage, man-to-man, and Bradbury's making all this money, and he's not good. At, he's a cover-two corner. He's the Josh Norman. It's like when Washington signed Josh Norman to that ridiculous contract. Josh Norman was a cover eight, uh, cover seven off, quarter half coverage. I mean, play some man, but from off, do some. It didn't fit the system. See, this is why football is different than baseball. You can play third base for the Mets and get traded to the Yankees. It's no big deal. But in football, if you play for the Eagles' coverages and then you go to the Giants, they're different. Mm -hmm. They're taught different. Everything's different. And your skill set has to be able to be adaptive. That's the Achilles heel in this Eagle defense. Can they cover against a good passer, right? Can they defend a good passer? Last year, they played six quarterbacks, Brady twice, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, and Patrick Mahomes. Those six quarterbacks, the ball was only on the ground 36 times in those six games. It's amazing. And over the last, look, since week 12, last five weeks, it's something that has cratered to the point where Philadelphia, on the season, still a top three pass defense team, but now about middle of the pack. I'm seeing 14th, Michael, now on a EPA per play basis. The adjustments have been made. I, I still think, and it's I'm a little surprised, too, that in the NFC futures market that San Francisco did not leapfrog them. I get the seating, and they'll have to play the extra game, but most likely. Uh, to me, San Francisco is a much more complete uh, team, and, and Brock Purdy, as we just talked about, he's proven. And in that system, uh, he, he's, he's a guy you feel comfortable with. So I, I don't see why San Francisco hasn't leapfrogged Philly in the odds, at least yet. Yeah, I, I don't either. I think probably because, you know, I think Brock Purdy keeps them down. You know, nobody wants to go there, right? Yeah. The reality is, he's not a bad quarterback. I mean, we we finally saw the Niners uh, in a position where he had to lead them from behind. He did it against Las Vegas last week and a really impressive performance. So that's the element for Philly. Again, win, they get the one seed and the NFC East title. As we also continue on the NFC playoff picture side, two games that will determine the seventh seed in the NFC. We'll discuss those two games when we return. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. 
Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Listening to the Lombardi Line on VSIN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Even a wager that misses can still be a slam dunk with BetMGM, an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. Place an NBA one-game parlay wager with four legs or more, and if you miss one leg, you'll receive up to $25 back. Just opt into this promotion on BetMGM's app or website. With one game parlay, you can make selections within a single NBA game, including team and player props. So go ahead and take your favorite NBA star to score big, the home team to cover, and the over in points. Opt into the promotion, then place an NBA one game parlay wager of four legs or more, and you'll get up to $25 back if you miss one leg. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued is non withdrawable. Free bets for site credit. Free bets expire in seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi, Nevada, or New York. As we were just talking, Michael, about the two NFC East games, really the thing to talk about on the Dallas-Washington front is the fact that we find out today uh, the report from NFL Network that it will be Taylor Heineke to start at quarterback for Washington, but expect to see both him and Sam Howell. I I can't help but just be like, ugh. Like Ron Rivera, what's going on, man? How could you bungle the final few weeks of the season in such spectacular fashion the way Washington has here? Now five-and-a-half-point underdogs, by the way, against Dallas. I mean, this will be five years in a row where Ron Rivera as a head coach has had not had a winning season. Five years in a row. I mean, Amazing. you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, everybody gets criticized for, I mean, everybody wants to fire McDaniels in Las Vegas. They want to fire this guy. I mean, nobody ever says, hey, Ron Rivera's got, you know, he's, he, you know, he made no changes to his defense. He made no changes to the offense. I mean, you know, it's one of the worst offenses in football, partly because of the quarterback. They're 27th in the league in yards per attempt rushing. They can't throw it. They can't really run it well enough. I know they beat Philadelphia, but, you know, that was a kind of a game where it just kind of all came together. The offensive line isn't very good. And, you know, I mean, look, they've improved defensively more because they were better in the red zone. But this whole quarterbacking, the trade for Wentz, when they really didn't need to pay what they paid for Wentz, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like now they're going back to Heineke. Do they, you know, they, they say they're going to play Sam Howell. How much does Dallas want to play in this, right? I mean, Dallas has got to be sitting down there. If you're Mike McCarthy, you know you're playing Tampa, right? You know you're playing Tampa, four plays five. Do you really want to risk playing Dak a lot in the game? Do you want to risk those offensive linemen injury? Do you want to risk Pollard? Right. I mean, I'm surprised the Lions-Cowboys, it's still where it is. I, I kind of thought it would come down lower because I can't see the Cowboys 
believing that the Eagles are going to lose and the Cowboys could eventually be the number one seed. I, I just don't see that. Actually, the line, even I just said five and a half odd screen in front of me lighting up. It's now six and a half. Dallas laying six and a half. For one, I see that. Yeah, I just saw it. I mean, you got to think like scoreboard watching will be happening. Both teams play at the same time. The only way Dallas gets the one seed is if both the Eagles and 49ers lose. Very, very unlikely. And the only way the Cowboys get the two is if the Eagles were also to lose, and that would be if San Francisco won. Any other result, you have the number five seed for Dallas, which is by far the most likely outcome here. So could this be another first half angle where you look at, uh, again, as the scoreboard watching happens, yeah. uh, Dallas, I'm seeing length three and a half right now for the first half, at least against Washington. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, but are you playing Makai Parsons in the game? I mean, first of all, weather's not going to be a factor. It's going to be 50 to 45 degrees, you know, cloud overcast, but no wind. So that's not going to be a factor. You know, the, the, what's the motivation of Washington? You know, we're talking about Dallas. What's Washington? They're out of it. You know, do you think Rivera? I mean, if, if Dan Snyder wasn't in the process of selling the team, if Dan Snyder wasn't kind of in, in all the battles f- that he faces on every front, self-inflicted, by the mm-hmm. way. Yep. Uh, Rivera wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it. I mean, he would be fired by now. I mean, this guy goes through coaches like you can't – there's no way this has got to be – and I have to research – this has got to be the longest tenure of a coach who hasn't produced a winning record for, for him. <laughs> that will be the good the, the next thing for you to research, Michael, on your, your long list there. Uh, because, yes, it is, it is going uh, on a long stretch. Well, I mean, I don't understand Rivera. that I'm the only I, one. Yeah. Rob Rivera is a good guy. I mean, everybody likes Rob Rivera, but he said fi- he hasn't had a winning season in five years. True. Like I know he made the playoff one year, and that was because the Eagles basically did nothing. The they, NFC they, least they let the, yes. The, yeah, that was so okay. But to me, like, what what have, what has he done to improve this team? Like, where are we going? Like, I, I, they don't have the quarterback solved, right? We don't. That's not handled. Wentz is not going to be on the team next year. There's no way Wentz is not. Re, I mean, I think Wentz is either going to. I can't even imagine he'd be a backup. I can't. can't. I can't think, I, yeah, be, no way. Yeah, because you don't want to put him in. The, you know, if he has to play, based on this year, every backup has to play. It's hard to believe a situation where that that would actually happen as far as Carson Wentz goes. And we'll continue to monitor this line because I'm with you. On, on the one hand, you get why there's the anti-Washington thought in the market with how horrible they have looked. I believe they've been outscored 101-52 to since leading 10 nothing against the Giants on Sunday Night Football a few weeks ago. Just amazing to think that that's how quickly it is all falling apart for the Commanders. I'm now officially eliminated. And we'll, we'll switch into the, the fight, though, for the seven seed because that's the other big element uh, heading into Week 18. And as we flip ahead into our second hour, there's a, a game right now on my odd screen. I, I can't uh, keep my eyes off it. A huge move that uh, we'll talk about between Minnesota and Chicago. We'll do that in about uh, 10 minutes here on the show. But as far as Lions-Packers is concerned... Number continues to, uh, to, it's really settled and it moved very quickly off the three, three and a half that Green Bay was initially favored by up to four and a half where Detroit needs a win plus a Seahawk loss earlier in the day to get into the seven seed. Packers, it's pretty simple. Win and in. What do you make of that line move going up to the four and a half there for Green Bay? You know, when you go back and watch the game I did this morning, when you watch the first game, you know, Green Bay turns the ball over, what, three, twice in the red zone. You know, fourth down, horrible throw on that what was that tight end that the uh, the tackle eligible play over to Bakari, yes. and then you know they then they turn it over again, and and it was a kind of a strange game because as explosive 
as Detroit has been offensively and as bad as Green Bay has been defensively, Detroit really didn't do anything in the passing game. They threw for under 200 yards. They ran the ball effectively, but they didn't really they were not explosive and didn't get off the feet, didn't put points on the board. I mean, it's a 15 to 9 game. And, you know, if you're Green Bay, you're walking out of there saying, "Wait a minute, we're 0 for 4 in the red zone. We don't convert there, and yet we're still in this game." And so, but I think Detroit's playing a lot better now than they did then. They held Green Bay to run. They didn't. Green Bay couldn't run the ball on them then. And and at the, at the end of the day, they were able to make enough plays with their defense. I, I think this is to me this is two even teams. When I went through it this morning, I think this is really two even teams. I had the line right at four this morning when I when I said it. It was right at four. So you know, for me, I I think Green Bay. As the home team, I think it's going to be a field goal type of game. I really do. The one, because when yeah. you break down when you break down the areas, the twelve, the nineteen areas that I break down, I mean Green Bay strong. Green Bay is strong in the top twelve and in, in eleven of those areas, and Detroit strong in ten of those areas. So they're they're an equally balanced team. And I don't think weather is going to be a factor here either, right. Ben. Doesn't doesn't look that way at least as of now. The thing that would concern me from the Green Bay perspective is that the Minnesota Viking offensive line was so disjointed and out of whack with the yeah. loss of Garrett Bradbury at center. Then you had Austin Schlottman go down after just a few plays. It was amazing to me rewatching the game Sunday night. Just how many plays the Vikings were completely thrown off by the lack of cohesion on the offensive line. You compare that with what Detroit went down. Yes, and then O'Neal went down as well. Right. So you compare that with what Detroit has, a consensus top five offensive line across the board you're not going to get the same sort of free plays and discombobulated uh, general sequences that you got against Minnesota on offense. That would be the thing that concerns me on the Green Bay side here if you're laying over a field goal. Yeah, I, I don't understand why this line's at four and a half. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I know Detroit doesn't have a lot, a great chance of making it, but Detroit, you know, for all we talk about how bad Green Bay played in the first game, Detroit didn't play good in the first game either. I mean, they won, but they didn't. That wasn't the Detroit offense we were used to seeing. Fifteen to nine game in the first meeting, and also a lot of people are making the you know the point about okay, well, if Seattle like this game, like why do they flex it to Sunday night? Like if Seattle wins, then Detroit's out of it, and they won't care. Well, it's Dan Campbell as a head coach. It's a divisional matchup. It's regardless still a chance to kick an NFC North rival out of the playoffs. How can people make the case that Detroit won't care about this game and that the market is going to explode if they get eliminated? Plus, Goff's playing for a contract. Players are playing. And they want to go into next year with the win to kind of propel them. I can remember in, in, in 1999, we were playing back in Kansas City. In fact, I saw some of the highlights on Twitter the other day. And we got down 17 to nothing. And we had nothing to play for, but we could, get, we could keep Kansas City out of the playoff. That's what we had to play for. We got down 17 to nothing. And we come roaring back, and we win the game, and Nedney makes a field goal to win the game, and, and we keep them out of the playoffs, and that propelled us in the next season. Yeah. Like, that got us in the next year. I, I think that's a missing – especially that the coach is back, whereas you say, well, well, why won't Washington do that? Well, I'm not sure Rivera's coming. I'm not sure that, that there's not going to be some ownership change there and things could change. Totally different situation with this, Lions and uh, and Packers. I'll say this right now, and a lot of people have speculated, if the Seahawks win Sunday afternoon, that line will go up. Total mistake. Do not do not follow that line of thinking if the line goes up in Lions and Packers. Lions still want to win the game. All right, we have a lot to get to in hour number two. We'll start with more NFC 7-seed discussion. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. 